And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. At the time we are recording this episode, two teams are one win away from the Stanley Cup Finals. The other two teams are hoping to change that narrative, but in order to do that, they will need to win three straight games. Also, we have some awards to announce. Episode 236 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. As always, a jam-packed show ahead of us. Uh, before we get uh, onto that, a uh, couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, the NHL draft will take place on October the 6th and the 7th, specifically the night of October 6th and all day October 7th. That is a Tuesday and a Wednesday. It's a pandemic, so who really cares when they do the draft? Um, those are the days the draft are going to be taking place. The other thing to keep in mind, October 9th, two days after that, the final day of the draft is the start of NHL free agency. So uh, NHL teams, looking at your Bruins, Brett, if you want to keep Tory Krug, you have until October the 9th to do so. Um, and names like Alex Petrangelo uh, with the Blues, the clock is ticking there. Um, there have been other names that have already said they're going to test out the free agency waters. Uh, one is Mikhail Granlin of the Nashville Predators. He plans on testing free agency. Mark Borowiecki of the Ottawa Senators, unfortunately, will do the same, although it's not so surprising because it's Ottawa. Um, but, yeah, that's happening. Just to give you an update on that. And uh, before we get started... Um, a bit of news to share with you, a, a kind of milestone update. Um, September 6, 2015, we released our Eastern Conference preview for the 2015-16 season. Yes, it's been that long. Last week's recording, September 6, 2020, previewed the 2020 Conference Finals. It has been five years since this podcast got up and running, still going strong today. Uh, we've gone through 100 episodes. We had 200 at the very start of 2020. I believe in the first few months of 2021, we will have 250 episodes um, on our resume. Um, but the five-year mark, the 10-year mark, the 15-year mark, those are obviously pretty special. And to be yeah. around five years, to have your support still to this day means a heck of a lot. So thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, for sure. It, it is. I mean, for now, we usually just do this more for fun than anything. Uh, we've, we've never had ads on here. We've, um, and all that stuff. And I think, like, originally I wanted to have, like, guests every other week or something like that and, mm -hmm. um, and change the show, like, to what it is now. But I'm, I'm happy with what the show is about right now. It's just two fans who, uh, who enjoy talking about hockey. Honestly, without, this podcast I don't feel like I mean I guess I do talk to league mates and stuff but I don't think I would be as knowledgeable about um about hockey as I am right now even if it is just for fun and it's just just a little fun little thing that we we both do um in our free time and it's it's fun yeah mm -hmm. and we hope you enjoy it as much as we do of course of course that goes without saying yeah. <laughs> um so we're gonna start off um, with, so we have, so during the, the playoffs and because as Steve mentioned that like the draft's going to start pretty soon right after, um, the Stanley cup playoffs, 
Uh, they've been announcing awards um, intermittently throughout the playoffs, and uh, so and I figured that since we'll be busy talking about all that other stuff during that time, uh, we should probably mention the awards right now. I should we should mention though that like all the awards, these awards aren't um, aren't the big awards yet. Um, I mean, I guess there is the Selkie, which we'll get to right away, but uh, there's also, um, you know, the Heart hasn't been announced, the Norris mm-hmm. hasn't been announced yet. Um, I think there's another big one that's... That uh, Vezina, Vezina, Calder, Calder's, hasn't been announced yeah, either. Those, those two are, are also big as well. So, yeah, so something to keep in mind, but I figure... It's not like we have anything other to talk about. We'll talk about the other two series in a minute um, after this, but um, I figured... And, and those five big awards, I should also mention, the they will be announced during the Stanley Cup Finals. So right. until those begin, uh, the waiting game continues. Of course, of course. Um, I think I think there there's more awards coming soon, but we'll see. Um, yeah, just just the, just the five, which will yeah. be announced in the finals. Uh, everything else has been announced. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're going to start off with this, I'm trying to do it by list of the most important awards to talk about. Uh, the first one that was announced was the Selkie Award. Um, and that one goes to, uh, not Bergeron or not O'Reilly, because, uh, if, if you remembered, I had a passion plea that it should be Bergeron and you had a passion plea that it should be O'Reilly. Um, and it turns out it was Couturier. Um, and I thought like it shouldn't be Couturier and I explained it all because, uh, Bergeron had a better, uh, had more points and had a, a decent, uh, face off percentage. But I guess, uh, this was Couturier's year. Um, he had a 117 first place votes, uh, compared to Bergeron who had 21 first place votes. Um, so that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, Mark Stone, um, who we all love, he came in fifth in the voting. Anthony Sorelli came in fourth. He's been kind of like a big-time player uh, recently in terms of, like, people are taking notice that he, he's pretty good. Also of note that, like, Philip Deneau, who's kind of on his way out of Montreal, it seems, um, was sixth place here. I, I guess it's also interesting that Mark Stone got fifth. Nichushkin and Marshan um, were eighth and ninth in voting, and you know those guys are 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 wingers, and those guys usually Selkie's usually been like the guy with the best faceoff percentage, with the best uh, you know with the highest point totals and stuff. So it's interesting that like um, that those wingers are getting their shine. Yeah, and, and just taking a look at some of the other names um, that appeared on this lengthy list, there's like a list of like yeah. 40 to 50 plus players that yeah. got votes. Yeah. Even if it was just like one fifth place vote, Mitch Marner got a fifth place vote. He right, right. is on the list. Um, but uh, just taking a look at players that got first place votes, uh, Artemi Panarin got one. He is a hard trophy finalist. Um, Austin Matthews got a first place vote. So did Nick Bonino, Braden Point, Brad Marchand. Uh, and, um, yeah, th- those are a couple of the names, especially, uh, Bonino, um, getting a first place vote for the Selkie. That's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was a crazy one. Uh, Noel Achari also got some votes. That was interesting. Mm -hmm. to, or he got a second place vote. Um, yeah, so... Barkov got, like, 11 votes. I think he got, like, 5 for 4th and 6 for 5th. But yeah. uh, if if some of those votes had gotten to, like, 1st and 2nd place, he probably would have yeah. been higher on this list. But just where those votes went to in terms of, like, seating... Um, probably impacted where he finished. But yeah, Barkov got some votes too. Yeah, so, I mean, I think I've already done my spiel about Bergeron should have won, but I guess Couture, it was Couturier's year. I, I don't want to discredit Couturier, but I felt like Bergeron should have won because he had the better t point totals and about the same amount of face-off wins as Couturier did. But, um, I mean, at the same time, Couturier was the Flyers' best player by far, and a lot of that had to do with um, the face-off wins and the and the point totals. And if you, like, don't believe me, like, look at the, the Flyers' uh, playoff, win, like, run this year where they kind of, like, spattered once Couturier wasn't in there. Um, so... Um, so I think he, he does deserve it and it's good that he got first place, but I, I don't know. I, <laughs> maybe I'm just too much of a Bruins homer or something, but I felt like Bergeron should have won or O'Reilly. I would have been okay with O'Reilly. Yeah. Well. The, the thing with Bergeron is I think he's too good for the Selkie to the point where he might as well just rename the award, the Patrice Bergeron well, award, because it seems like he's going to win it every year. I know. Like, well, then if it is, then he should win every year. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I mean, like the, the guy's playing 16 NHL seasons, yeah. which is crazy. Like yeah. I, I know he's been in the league since like the mid two thousands, but it's still, it's still crazy to kind of like add those seasons up and realize, wow, he's been in the league for 16 years. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, this is the 11th straight year he's finished in the top five voting for the Selkie, the ninth time he's been nominated, and he's won it four times. Yeah. Like, that's how big of a fixture that he is with this thing. Um, and you take a look at what he did in terms of face-offs. Fourth in face-off winning percentage over a minimum of 750 attempts. 57.9%. Um, he won 57.9% of his face-offs this year. In terms of defensive zone face-off winning percentage, 58.4%, third in that category. Um, probably not the first time he's done that because it's Patrice Bergeron. Right. Um, and just looking over the course of his career, I think I mentioned it once on the podcast before. Sidney Crosby was 56% successful once over a single campaign. That was back in 2009-2010. 56% successful in his face-offs on the nose. Yep. Hasn't topped that since. Bergeron's been 56% or better for 11 straight years. That's how good he is at winning faceoffs. Yeah. So, like, I, again, like, if it was that easy to hand out a Selkie, Bergeron would win it every year. And I think it's just like, you know, let's, let's just have someone else win the awards, you know, like, eat, like, because. It's going to be pretty tough to top Patrice Bergeron because he's just that good at winning faceoffs. Yeah. Um, but you look at Couturier, and a lot of the sports pundits um, thought he was worthy of the Selkie Trophy. There were 170 ballots cast. He appeared on 163 of them. So it was a ballot system where you got first, second, third, fourth, and fifth place votes. He got at least one vote in 163 of the 170 ballots. That's 96% of all ballots that were cast. He appeared yeah. on it. Pretty good percentage. Yeah. Um, 
you take a look at his faceoff winning percentage. Um, he led the NHL with 59.6% over a minimum of 750 attempts. Um, we talk about how good Bergeron was in defensive zone faceoff winning percentage. Couturier was 59.5%, and uh, Bergeron was a bit under that. So we finished better than Bergeron did in that category. He was first amongst all Flyers forwards in ice time per game. He averaged 19 minutes, 50 seconds per game. Um, in terms of shorthanded ice time this year, he had 140 minutes and 29 seconds. So that was, again, first amongst all Flyers forwards. And no other skater, forward or defenseman, got a better SAT percentage than Sean did and was 56.1%. Yep. And he was also a plus 21. So definitely deserving of the award there and. The argument you can make for Ryan O'Reilly is is his numbers, like his goal scoring wasn't great, but he put up a decent amount of assists. His point total was pretty decent. And you look at where he ranks in the NHL in terms of face-off wins, face-offs taken. He's near the top. He won the award last year. Um, so I, I was definitely expecting uh, Ryan O'Reilly to win it. It's not a big shocker that Couturier won it, though. Like yeah. He put up a good season. No, yeah, it's definitely not a shocker, but I I do have um, one statistic that did stand out to me when I was looking back at my notes here. Yeah. Um, so, um, hold on, let me... Give me one second here. Okay, so uh, in terms of face-off wins per game, uh, Patrice Bergeron had 12.44 face-off wins per game. Ryan O'Reilly came in second um, with 12.39. By the way, uh, Bergeron's first in face-off wins per game, whereas uh, Ryan O'Reilly's second in face-off wins per game. Sean Couturier has 7.86 face-off wins per game. Um, yeah. And then if you take into account... I mean, like I know face-offs aren't everything when it comes to Selkies, but it, then if you take into account... The goals and the assist and stuff of that nature. Uh, Patrice Bergeron had a, a half uh, goals per game. Um, Couturier had 0.32 uh, uh, goals per game, and then Ryan O'Reilly had 0.17. Although, um, although I guess Ryan O'Reilly also did. Um, he had 0.69 assists per per game, which is a lot better than the points, obviously. Yeah. But, um, so, like, when you just put it into, like, on the pace of stuff, and, at, like, yeah, Bergeron only played 61 games, whereas Couturier played 69, and, um, O'Reilly played 71, um, like, if you take that into consideration where Bergeron played in less games, however, it's, like, there's, like, there are eight games apart from Couturier and Bergeron, it's just, um, it's, it's, so it's, like, they still, you could still count it. Like there, it's not like Couturier played a full season either. Um, so it's just, or Bergeron missed that many games. Um, so I, like I could understand it last year when Bergeron missed a couple of games, like I think 20 games last year, but, mm -hmm. um, this year it doesn't make sense cause he only missed nine games, I think. Um, so I guess it is a little different with the, like, it's not a full, full season yet, but um, so that's, that's where I'm like, if you just go into the statistics of it, it just makes sense that Bergeron should have won, but I guess it's yeah. Couturier's and, and here. I think we're probably most hockey fans 
yeah. we're probably pointing the fingers like, well, how do you make sense of this? Is that not not the fact that Couturier appeared so much on a lot of the ballots, on like 96% of the ballots that were cast. The guy had 117 first place votes and no other guy had like 50. Yeah. So like it, it looked like from the first place ballots that it was pretty one-sided. I definitely think you can make a case that Couturier wins the Selkie trophy, but does does it mean that like like how like when in terms of like dishing out the first place ballots, like how many of the sports pundits were like sweating it out yep. for several minutes, thinking, should I go with Bergeron or Couturier, or is it Couturier is my choice, slam dunk, no debate, no discussion. I'm giving yep. a, I'm giving first place to him, like. That that's the other thing, because like, I'm sure the the thing with the Selkie Trophy, yeah, it's not just about faceoffs. It's not just about back checking and forward checking and point holes. There's there's a lot of things that go into account when determining the winner of the Selkie Trophy. Yeah, it's not just takeaways, which Mark Stone is great at, has been great at for several years, and a big reason why he was fifth this year, and and maybe someday could win the Selkie. Um, it, there, there's a lot of other things that it's not just about like face-offs and points that you you factor in. So I'm sure there are other areas where maybe Couturier did better than Patrice Bergeron. We just uh, didn't look at um, some of those uh, statistical categories. We we looked mostly at what was available to us like right away on NHL.com. Um, and, and, and like I said before, Sean Couturier has been nominated for the Selkie. He was ninth in voting as a third-year player. He was eighth in 2015-16 when he had 39 points in 63 games. In 2017-18, when he had his first 76-point season, he was a runner-up. Um, last year, he was sixth when he got 76 points yeah. again, and this year he was first, and he was just one point shy of 60. And his goal total went down from the past two years as well. So there, there, there are a lot of different um, measurables to measure what makes the Selkie Trophy winner every single year. And maybe there are areas that we didn't look at where Couturier is better than Bergeron, and that's ultimately what decided it. Or maybe people just look at what they see on the ice and say, you know what, Bergeron and Couturier are neck and neck. Might be one of the few times that Couturier wins it with Bergeron in the league. We might as well just give it to him this year. There there are a lot of different reasons why Couturier won this award. Um I, the one thing that does throw me off a little bit is the amount of first place votes uh, that Couturier got and Bergeron didn't. Because yeah. you look at second and third place votes and even fourth place votes, Bergeron got a ton of those. Yeah. Whereas Couturier did most of his damage in the first place ballot. And that's True. why it was more one sided. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, I mean, yeah, again, not to discredit Couturier, but I feel like it should have gone to Bergeron. But, anyways, it's it's water under the bridge. It's a, it's a tough race, though. Yeah. Honestly, like you can make a case for either three guys winning. Yep. And um, so now we go to the race where the Bruins guy beat out the the Flyers guy. Uh, We're going, of course, I'm talking about the Jack Adams here because Cassidy won uh, his first Jack Adams award. Um, Elaine Vigneault had the second place votes. Um, However... I, I think even though I'm happy for Cassidy and, and all that stuff, and there is something to, he was the best coach this year because they were the best team in the regular season. So there is something to that. 
However, um, I felt like it should have gone to Tortorello or uh, Craig, uh, Jared Bednar. I think had a good um, a good um, case for um, even Mike Sullivan. Um, and of course, if if of course if the playoffs, if the voting happened after the playoffs or right now, it would go to Barry Trotz, um, but or or Rick Bonus. But um, the fact that the um, so it seems kind of crazy that uh, uh, that Cassidy won over all those guys. As much as I love Cassidy, and he he should have won it last year when a bunch of the players. Um, key players were injured and, and all that stuff, but, um, but I, I, I'm happy for him. Um, but I, I still feel, I feel like, um, it should have probably gone to Tortorello, Bednar or Sullivan instead. Kind of surprised with your hot take. Cause I thought you would defend Cassidy to the ends of the earth. Like you did. Bergeron. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm trying to even out, but I, I do love like don't get me wrong I do I do love Bruce Cassidy but I I think there is well first off I think the Jack Adams is sort sort of turned into this award where it's about like what what team went through the most adversity and stuff instead of what team is actually a good coach cuz for a while there when Mike Babcock was the coach of, you know, the Red Wings and stuff. He should have won it every year because he was the best coach. But since he was on, like, you know, since the team was really good, then um, it's, it's nothing. But now this this award has turned into, like, who, like, the most improved team award. And um, and if that's the case, which I'm fine with, if, if that's what you're awarding it by, um, then Tortorella had to do more because no one expected the the Blue Jackets to win um, anything. Uh, same with, like, you know, Bednar lost so many players, key players, down the stretch there. Yeah. He should have deserved it. Mike Sullivan, the same kind of thing happened to him with the Penguins. So, like, if, the, if, if you're basing the Jack Adams based off of, like, the most improved coach or the most improved team, then, or, like, raise expectations, then, yeah, Columbus... Um, and Tortorella deserve, deserve that because no one expected them to do this well. Um, but I think that if this was a regular season and if the Blue Jackets did make the playoffs, then yeah, I think Tortorella would, would be in. But at, at the moment, you know, Tortorella was, or the Blue Jackets were the ninth seeded team in the playoffs. So they were just barely in the playoffs. So for all we know, the the Blue Jackets may have missed the playoffs and stuff. So I think if this was a regular season and Tortorella was in, I think you would have won it. But otherwise, it probably would have gone to like Trotz or Cassidy or or someone of that nature. Um, just, um, yeah. So um, there is something to being like the only a hundred point team. Um, maybe it's just like. You know, in my brain, it's just like it's kind of meaningless now because they didn't win the cup, and I, I'm sure Cassidy would rather win the cup than win this award. But um, it is nice that he he is getting some some uh, some respect around around the parts um, and and all that stuff because I felt like he should have won last year, um, but he didn't. Well, I, I will go back to the amount of respect because I don't think Tortorella got enough of it. 
Yeah. Um, like 62 out of 132 ballots he appeared on it. That's less than 50%. This was a team that lost Panarin, lost Bobrovsky, lost Duchesne to free agency, ended up by like the midseason point. Forget calling them Columbus Blue Jackets. They were the black and blue jackets because they were getting injuries to key players left, right, and center. And yeah. the fact that he only appeared on 50% of the ballots, that they were one of the best defensive teams in terms of shots against per game, they were like bottom 10, very good. In terms of goals against per game, they were in the bottom five, very good. And and this is the kind of the good bottom five that we're talking about, not the bad bottom yeah, five. Yeah, so to say. But this is a team people didn't even expect to contend this year. Straight up. they A lot of pundits probably thought, you know what, they'll put up a good fight, but really they're not going to do much. Even if they don't make the playoffs, they were knocking on the doorstep at worst. That's still better than what a lot of people expected this team to do with a tandem that featured, with a goalie tandem that featured a guy that, in Jonas Corpusalo, who at times was pressed into starting duty because Bobrovsky was hurt, but wasn't really a legit starter at that point. You're bringing a guy like Elvis Merzeklins, who had a lot of great seasons overseas, but never played a single ounce of NHL hockey before this. And you could argue he's like top 10 in rookie of the year voting this year because of how good he played when Corpus got hurt. And, you know, I'm sure Corpus and Tortorella would be getting a lot more accolades at the playoffs count because Corpus Al was just unreal in the playoffs. Yeah. I think even on regular season success alone, Tortorella was the guy that should have won it. He was the only If you take a look at the midseason rankings, it was Sullivan first, Tortorella second, Barube, fourth, uh, Barube third. So he was there on the midseason ballot. He is here at the end of the year and not only does he not win Vigneault finishes ahead of him Vigneault gets second Torts gets third yep and I I am fully convinced this is the media against Torts I guarantee you if Bruce Cassidy and John Tortorella are dealing with different circumstances if Bruce Cassidy is dealing with all of these adversities that Torts had to deal with this year and they were knocking on the doorstep of the playoffs. His team was knocking on the doorstep. And Tortorella was coaching the only team in the NHL to hit 100 points. I think Cassidy wins that award because it's John Tortorella. I think John Tortorella's reputation with the media cost him. And it's unfortunate because he should have won. So on, I knew you were going to make that point because you've said that a lot in our email chats all the time. Uh, one point, uh, first off, Tortorella does have, um, a Jack Adams already, so it's, he's already won two, I think he actually has two Jack Adams awards, he doesn't have, mm-hmm. yeah, so. But out of all of those seasons, I don't think a coach has ever gone through this much adversity, ever in an NHL season. That, I, I also disagree with. Um, it's like, yeah, those players of Panarin and Bobrovsky were big, you know, identity guys for the Blue Jackets, but at the same time, it's like they still had Wierenski, they still had Seth Jones, they still had Pierre-Luc Dubois, so it's not like, like, all they really needed to do was rely on their goaltender, um, and, you know, he was fantastic, so without Elvis, I feel like they wouldn't have 
been as good. Um, See, the other thing but, is Paul McClain, that sounds a lot like what Paul McClain did with Ottawa in 2012-2013, and he okay. won the Jack Adams. But, okay, and and that's uh, that's fair too. Um, and also you were talking about like there's like a media thing outside of him, and, and I would agree with you back in his Ranger days when he, um, or in the Vancouver Canucks days when he would uh, trash the media almost every single day and stuff, or he just didn't get along with them. So that, that I agree with, but I feel like once he got into Columbus and took a year off after the Canucks um, experiment, um, he, you know, he started to, he started to change and he started to change his personality to the point where I don't even think I remember any like big like thing where he said like he had a big media thing where I feel like people are now respecting Tortorella enough. Um, I do agree that I think he should have won the Jack Adams, but I don't think it's as egregious as people are making it out to be. Um, so yeah, there's that. And I I also think it's just, disrespectful to the Columbus Blue Jackets because they worked so hard as a team. And it it's one thing if the coach, um, you know, preaches the message and, and it gets through. There are times where a coach preaches a message and it doesn't get through and you don't see the results. And I have seen a lot of other coaches who have won this award that, you know, go back to this being a team award not just a coach of the year award, a team award. And I think the Columbus Blue Jackets as a team should be very motivated because this is another example of the NHL not giving them the respect they deserve. And they deserved a lot of respect after the season they put forward. And once again, um, they're second or third best. And it's unfortunate because they, they really put on a good show. Tortorella coached a great team and they surprised the NHL. And it's unfortunate that in the record books, it's not going to be documented. So, anyway. uh, so, but like, shouldn't this actually be a coach award, not a team award? It, it is literally honestly, a coach award. It depends on the year. I honestly. will fight you on this one. I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like this has become a bit of the Norris trophy where depending on the year, it's something different. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what I was saying at the beginning. If this was, like, the most improved team award, then yes, I would agree with you, but um, it's the best coach award. Um, so I think in, in that case, then, yeah, I, I think uh, I think uh, Cassidy did win. Um, mm-hmm. so, and I'm happy for Cassidy. Yeah. Like, he was nominated as coach of the year in 2017-18 as well. Yep. And like you said, he did what did – a lot of good last year. He was one went away from winning a Stanley Cup as a coach. And, and well, and I was talking about the fact that like Pasternak missed twenty games. Bergeron missed like half yeah. the season that year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Krug was also out for a time too that year. So um, yeah, so it like he did a lot last year as well. So it might have just been like a makeup call. But I guess when you do that, then you get in the way of all the other ones. Yeah, it's unfortunate um, so, yeah. because then you slight somebody else that probably should have won the award. And, right, right. And it's not anything it's not anything that Cassidy didn't do. It's everything that Torts did right that I thought really just was really deserving of him getting the Jack Adams. But Well uh Torts did did have uh does have two Jack Adams. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I think he's okay. 
Um, and he'll live. He has the Stanley Cup as well. And, and so. you know what? He probably doesn't care. <laughs> and he also he, doesn't he care. He probably yeah. doesn't care at all that he didn't win. I mean, but... I, there he he does seem like the type of guy to like uh, make this like an us against the world type of thing. So maybe yeah. he will no, he will well, care, why, but to the team. That's but... why I think Columbus should be fired up next year because yeah. they probably still feel the NHL hasn't given them the respect they deserve. Also, the Jack Adams Award is kind of like for the recent past. Although I guess last year Trotz won, but um, mm-hmm. recently, like it has like a a stain on it because then the next year the coach gets fired right away. Yeah, exactly. But, so, um, but, so maybe it's not a great thing that he yeah uh, that Trotz won uh, didn't win. Um, okay, so the next award we're going to talk about here is the GM of the Year Award. Uh, Lou Lamarillo wins this. Um, Julian Brisebois gets second place here. Uh, Jim Nill gets the third place. Um, and then Joe Sackett gets fourth. Um, yeah, I, I think this this makes sense. This is kind of like another one of the... Maybe Lou Lamarillo should have won last year because um, no one expected the Islanders to do so well last year. And, um, and then they all credited uh, Trotz on that. Um, whereas this year it's like, oh, you have Lamarillo, um, and he, you know, he did some stuff, uh, for, for, for the GM, obviously, but I don't know. I feel like Breesbaugh did more and he added like depth, uh, Blake Coleman and, um, Barclay Goudreau at the end, um, at the end of the season. Um, you know, he added some more, uh, depth at the beginning of the year too. So I felt like, um, Breezebaugh should should have won, but, um, you know, good for Lamarillo. It's not, like, something to be too upset about, I guess. Yeah, so the this this award I don't have much of a problem with. Um, yeah. And a lot of people will say, oh, Josh Sackick should have been nominated. Jim Neal had 61 points. Sackick had 60. It was very close. Yep. Sackick was a couple of votes away from getting third, maybe second in this. Um the the thing with the uh, with Sackick and with Breezebois is at the start of the season, you look at the Avs, they have McKinnon, they have Landis Cog, they have McCarr, they have Rantanen, they have all of these pieces. You look at Tampa Bay, they have core guys like Kucherov and Braden Point and Steven Stamkos, Victor Hedman, Vasilevsky, you go down the list. Um Breezebois inherited a lot of good fortunes from Steve Eisman. And yes, he built upon that. But he was in a very, very, very good situation. Like, the team that he was taking ownership of had won 60-plus games the season prior. Forget they got swept. They won 60-plus games the season before. That's pretty good. Um, So there's that. With Lula Morello, in the two years the Islanders lost John Tavares, they tried to go out and get Artemi Panarin. That didn't work. But he was able to keep around his captain on a long-term deal. He signed... Jordan Eberle to a new contract as well. Barzal's going to be an interesting situation in the offseason this year, but he has been able to build around a team, a legit team. He's traded for Peugeot, given him a contract yeah, extension. That's a good one, too. I um, forgot about Peugeot. <laughs> yeah, traded for Andy Green, who's low key become a playoff yeah. giant for them. Um, Matt Martin, Anthony Beauvillier have really emerged as depth scorers in the playoffs. Um, just an all-around great team, coached by Barry Trotz, yes. Um, but Lou Lamorello, in his time with New Jersey, 
even before his time with the Islanders uh, began, he's been known for assembling great teams that mm-hmm. go deep into playoffs. And the Islanders are now made for playoff hockey. And a few seasons before he arrived, they weren't. Yeah. They, they would be lucky if they got into the playoffs. And he got 11 of 31 first place votes, nine second place, four third place, appeared on 24 of 40 ballots, which is over half of all ballots cast. Did it without Tavares, did it without Panarin, with an improved defense, with an overall great team, definitely deserving. Um, and what's also interesting is that Jim Benning uh, finished sixth on uh, that list. Yeah. Um, and and there were a lot of other names that I thought should have been higher on the list. Shevel Dayoff only got like a single vote for third place. Don Waddell. Don Waddell and Don Sweeney also got one third place vote, which I thought was yeah. strange too. And and definitely deserved because they did a lot of great things there. Yeah. But uh, Shevel Dayoff, I would have liked to see him finish like fifth or sixth. But also um, Jeff Gordon of the Rangers, he should yeah. he had two third place votes. He should have gotten a little bit more, I think, too. I think a little bit more, but to be fair, who doesn't want to play in New York? Right, yeah, but I mean, Panarin, Truba, signing uh, Adam Fox, who's been brilliant. Um, I think, I, I guess he doesn't get credit for Shesterkin, but, because uh, he didn't draft him, but, <laughs> uh, like, just, um, just those acquisitions made him, like, they were a lottery team, and I guess they still technically were, but... Um, like they made a, like a lot, he made it into, they speed up the, the, uh, lottery process or the rebuilding process. Oh, for sure. Like there's no doubt that what he has done in the past two years, very few NHL GMs have done in NHL history. This is probably the fastest, most successful short-term rebuild that I've ever seen in my life. Like what he did is astounding, but the Rangers have that Broadway appeal that everyone loves to play in. Yep. The Islanders are like the neighbors down the street that wishes they could have nice things, but they don't. Yeah. They, they just they just can't afford nice things. They lost the Tavares sweepstakes. The next year, they lost the Panarin sweepstakes. And they still built a team that in two straight years, in two years since Lamarillo and Trotz have been there, they made it to the final. Yep. Uh, they made it to the playoffs twice. They made it out of round one twice. And this year, they're in the final four. Yeah. With the team that they have without those big star powers like Tavares and Panarin like tip of the hat to Lou Lamorello. He did an amazing job with what he had. And that's what uh, GM of the year should go to a guy that did more with less. Yeah. I should also, it's kind of interesting because the first off the top three general managers on this voting list, uh, the uh, Lou Lamorello, Brisebois and Jim Nell, there are both, yep. all, all three of them are in the playoffs right now, conference finals. Yep. Uh, fourth was uh, Joe Sackick um, for Colorado, and if it wasn't again narrowly fourth, yeah. he was he was short of Jim Nill by one point. But but my point is is that like he uh, the Colorado they were like one win away from making it to the conference finals. Kelly yeah, one McCrim- goal away. yeah, one goal away. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon, uh, there. Uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, he got fifth sp- spot there in the conference finals, and then Jim Benning uh, for Vancouver, who was one win away from uh, from being in the conference finals himself in Vancouver, and then you also have Chuck Fletcher, the next one, uh, so that uh, for uh, Philadelphia. So 
<laughs> that's like seven guys who are so cl- who are either in the conference finals now, or um, we're so close to being um, in the conference finals, and and that's like it's interesting because this was voted before the playoffs. Um, or even were even set out. So I think it was during the playoffs when they started calculating these. It's it's weird. I think it, oh, I thought they voted the, just the before the playoffs. Um, but but even still, like I I doubt it was like like they, I I doubt they voted it during the playoffs. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I, th- I think I remember reading it was a bit different, but yeah. Okay. Anyway. It's it's it, it, it if if it was written before the playoffs, I would have thought Kekalainen would also gotten some yeah, votes too maybe, for his work yeah. in Columbus, but maybe anyway. Uh, Matt Dumb. Oh wait, is this the right one? No, uh, sorry, uh, different <laughs> award. Masterton. Uh, Bobby Ryan wins. Uh, he uh, came back from the NHL after he uh, underwent treatment for alcohol abuse. Um, he opened up about his struggles. Um, I think he wrote a column in The Athletic or something like that. Uh, this was done in mid-June before Oscar Lindbaum played a, a game in in Philadelphia. I'm sure Lindbaum's going to win next year for sure. He's already a lock there. But yeah. uh, good good on Bobby Ryan for, for winning this. Uh, like, you know, um, I think this, well, last year Robin Leonard won. Um, and uh, for similar reasons of like coming back from alcohol abuse and, um, and just mental health stuff. So it's good on him for, for Bobby Ryan to at least play a couple of games and show that he's, you know, he's doing all the right stuff. So, um, so good on him. And I think Lynn Baum's probably going to win next year. Um, when, when he plays like <laughs> at least a couple more games than, than what he did. Yeah. I, I believe, um, this this isn't uh, the first time that in recent memory that a senator has also won this award. Craig Anderson won it in 2017. I think in 2015 when the Hamburglar went on that run, he was nominated. He didn't win, but he was nominated. I think Dubnik won it that year. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, there there have been a lot of stories of perseverance that have come out of Ottawa, and uh, yeah, just an awesome moment for Bobby Ryan, who also acknowledged. Um, and and was admired by um, the play of Stephen Johns and uh, Oscar Lindblom yeah, in the playoffs. They were good too. And uh, thought they were also very deserving of the award as he was. So yeah, yeah, just uh, a great a great moment for Bobby. And um, hopefully um, the path to recovery continues for him, and he can have a a huge season next year. Um, it's one thing to 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 get back in into the league and and play, but I really hope he has a great great season next year um yeah. especially if it's one of his from. last in ottawa because i think his contract's winding down and after that who who knows he's probably done after that in ottawa but um it would be nice for him uh, to go out on top and and have a great year so hopefully sure. it continues yeah it's um certainly i think we're all rooting for him for sure um mm-hmm. all right so now we go to the uh the next one which is uh the lady being uh, Nathan mm-hmm. McKinnon wins that one. Um, he had, I guess this is the award of like who can get the most points with the less amount of penalty minutes. Uh, Nathan yeah, this Mc- is what someone dubbed the nice guy trophy. Exactly. Uh, Nathan McKinnon had 93 points and 12 penalty minutes. But now that I'm looking here, I see that Leon Dreisaitl had 110 points with 18 penalty minutes. 
Uh, Panarin had 20 penalty minutes with 95 points, so they could have easily won as well, but I guess it's just the the least amount of penalty minutes with uh, is, is enough for them. So, I mean, I don't even see Panarin or uh, Drysaddle on here. I assume they're saving those votes for the hard trophy. Um, oh, I see. Um, no, Panarin is finished 16th. Mm-hmm. Dry sidle, I do not see on here. Oh, Peterson he and Iskinen were were near the top ten as well. Okay, uh, Dry sidle was tenth. Um, P- no, Peterson was twelfth. Heiskinen was thirteenth. Yeah, so um, near the top yeah. ten. Two yeah. and three were Austin Matthews and Ryan O'Reilly, which is funny because both Matthews and O'Reilly were arrested off the ice at one point. Um, in their life, so it's just a, a funny little thing there that they're not really the nice guy um, off the ice, but I guess on the ice they are. I think one um, was more serious than the other because I think sure. Ryan O'Reilly, when he got arrested, it was like for crashing his car into a Tim Hortons. Right, and Matthews, it was like uh, he's scared of going. It was much off. more yeah. serious than that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, Although yeah, I don't know I'm what glad, happened. To I'm that, glad that Matthews like... didn't win. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that Matthews didn't sure. win. I'm sure his season was great, but he doesn't deserve to win the Lady Bing after what happened uh, last well, summer. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be weirder if he won the, the Messier trophy or something. But... <laughs> yeah, the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Yeah, yeah, yeah or something. That but screams leadership. Um, right. So, so yeah. Uh, let's yeah, go. No, Nathan McKinnon was the slam dunk winner. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, glad he won. Of course. Also, um, shout out to a pair of Hurricanes. Jacob Slavin, a defenseman. Finished fourth, Teravainen, a forward, finished fifth. Yep. Um, Yeah, good on them. Um, All right, let's go to the Marc Messier Award, speaking of which. uh, Marc Giordano wins that. Um, That was announced last night. We're recording this on a Monday, by the way. So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so good on him. It's it's hard to, like, really talk about those awards just because it's, like, those are more off-ice awards. But... Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you can really just give it to any captain of the 31 teams out there. But uh, it's good on Mark Giordano for winning. I'm sure he deserves it and does a lot of charity work um, yeah. and all that stuff. So, And has done a lot of great charity work for years as yeah. well. So, yeah. Um, and the same kind of thing can be said for the King Clancy Award as well, because that's a lot of stuff about off, off ice. Uh, but Matt Dumba wins that award. Um, and I guess we have here that he uh, he made he demonstrated leadership qualities on and off the ice. He had a significant humanitarian contribution to his community. He rebuilt uh, Lake Street. He knelt during the anthem, and he had the Hockey Diversity Alliance as well. Although I think this happened after they voted. Maybe it was before, but um but yeah good on matt dumba either way um it it seems like it's well deserved especially that speech that he gave um a while back um a couple of weeks ago about it so um yeah yeah. and 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 just did a lot of work like in, in various different um facets of it um he donated to more than 60 families in need during the pandemic the early stage of the pandemic uh, gave more than $11,000 to the Australian wildfire relief efforts. That was a huge story in January or February when before the pandemic hit, like that was huge news in Australia there. Um, he's participated in athletes committed to educating students in Minneapolis. He's done that for several years now. 
Um, played a big part in the Minnesota Wilds Hockey Fights Cancer Night every year as well. Um, and uh, the rebuilding, um, what what was it? Uh, rebuilding Lake Street. Yeah. Um, so he launched fundraising efforts following the death of George Floyd in order to support the rebuilding of local businesses that were that were uh, damaged during the riots and protests in Minnesota. So um, that's uh, what the rebuilding project uh, was about there. And as you mentioned, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, uh, a big thing uh, that he helped spearhead as well. So so now we go to the the two series that are going on right now, the two conference finals. Uh, we're going to start off with the Eastern Conference um, with uh, the Tampa Bay and the New York Islanders uh, series. And yeah, it's, I mean, I guess both series are 3-1 um, at the moment. Uh, as I mentioned before, we record, we're recording this on a Monday. Um, so we don't know what game four, five is going to happen um, for Dallas and, and Vegas. But so we don't know what's going to happen there. But um, mm-hmm. but we, for all we know, when you hear this, the series could be over. It could be, but it might not be. We'll see. Yeah, um, depends. But anyways, we're going to pre we're going to just recap what happened there and, and give us our thoughts on on the future of these series as well. Um, so, uh, Tampa Bay started things off, um, <laughs> they went guns a-blazing in the first, uh, first game, uh, it was an 8-2 to two game, uh, where, uh, Kucherov and Braden Point went off, Braden Point had five points, um, and Kucherov had also had five points that game, too, um, and yeah, I think I would take that more towards like just the teams weren't rested or, or things of that nature. But um, yeah, it was just uh, uh, it was just a barrage at some point where like after after the like even after the first period, I was like, OK, this Tampa has got this thing in the bag and, and they're going to win this easily to the point where I wasn't even sure if the like if this was going to be a sweep or not. But I guess I guess it was. Um, it's it's not as we'll find out. Um, then in game two, it was a little bit closer, um, where uh, Matt Martin and Hedman uh, score in the first period um, early on, and then in the third period, um, you know, it was pretty close, closely knit. But uh, Kucherov uh, scores within the last like minute of of the like last like nine seconds in the uh at the end of the third period it was around seven points something something like that yeah and he scores and uh yeah so the lightning win um win that one so it's two nothing lightning at this point um and then the third game uh this was kind of big because uh Braden Point uh was injured um and so he missed some games I think Yanni Gord was oh no Yanni Gord played never mind uh, just seeing that he scored, but uh, but that was that was a big difference maker, um, and uh, that that's when the Islanders really took off. Um, they scored five. Uh, the Lightning scored three. Um, and then, um, then there was a game uh, yesterday on Sunday where uh, the the Lightning 
uh, scored four unanswered. Um, it started off with Brock Nelson scoring, and we thought, like, okay, maybe the Islanders are back, even though Britain points in. Um, but then all of a sudden the Lightning just score a bunch um, at the end here. So my question to you, Steve, is do you think, like, the Lightning have it? Um, are they going to win in the next round, the next game? Or do you think the Islanders have a little bit more fight left? So the problem with the New York Islanders is in the past two series, the Tampa Bay Lightning were forced into overtime of game five and then won both times against very good teams. Um, against Columbus, they bowed back from 4-2 down in the final minutes to force overtime and then they won it. Against Boston, it was a again a back and forth game and they were able to get a key goal from Victor Hedman to win the series in game five. Um so you know what? With everything the Islanders have done, you know, I'll get, I'll, I'll come some slack. I'll say they'll win Game Five. Okay. I won't be surprised if Tampa wins, but I hope the Islanders win Game Five to force a Game Six. They're not coming back to win this series. Tampa is just too good. Their depth is too good, and just with the extra amount of motivation they are playing through, they look like a team that can't be stopped. Yep. And it's not that the Islanders are a bad team. They're a great team. They've come a long way. They just don't have the the extra firepower to hang with Tampa. If they had a player like Tavares and Panarin, I would be more convinced to say, you know what, they can come back and win three straight. I don't think they can. Um, if they won game two, it would have been a much different story because that, that, that I think – really put them on their heels like not just getting shellacked in game one because i think the lopsided affair in game one was expected because tampa was well rested the islanders were just rolling into edmonton a day or two before that probably jet lag sets in a little bit and that was the game where tampa absolutely had to take advantage of and they did um game two was much closer the Islanders actually scored on their first shot of the game. They did what Tampa did to them the game before, and Matt Martin, of all people, got the goal. And they were not giving Tampa too many chances on the power play, and when Tampa did get a chance on the power play, they didn't score. Um, if they win game two there, it's a tie series, and it's 2-2 heading into game five. At that point, anything goes. Um, but... With with Tampa just being up three to one, with the way Vasilevsky's playing, Braden Point just on another level, even if he's not at a hundred percent, just that top line of Point, Kucherov, and Palat. Um, the second goal in Game Four, which turned out to be the game winner, Palat's yep. insurance marker that made it, or Point's insurance marker that made it three to one, like that line was just clicking, and they had several good shifts throughout the game. Um, I I just think Tampa's too much for them. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I, I'll i give the Islanders credit. I think they might win game five. But yeah, I, I agree. I think Lightning are, are going to win this series. It's just a matter of what, what game, if it's five or six or seven. Um, so um, yeah, and I think like Braden Point has kind of like reached that next tier in, in his performance where like, you know, whenever you... Like the last couple of years, we've always talked about Stamkos and Kucherov as the best Lightning players, and and Hedman obviously uh, as well. But um, 
Like, I think Braden Point should be up with them um, as well, especially now when Stamkos hasn't even played, and it doesn't even seem like the Lightning miss him, um, Yeah, which like, is crazy. Yeah, like, Blake Coleman yeah. went a step further and called him the most, arguably the most dangerous player in the playoffs still yeah. playing. Yeah, so I think I think Braden Point has kind of t- turned the extra gear where we're like, okay, so... Braden Point's actually, like, really, really good. I'm not, obviously, he's not as good as McDavid or Dreisaitl or McKinnon or any of those guys, but um, he's he's close. He's certainly up there. Um, at least, at least uh, like, he should be one of the, he's, like, top 20, I would say, um, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of players. So, um, he, he seems to be kind of like that underrated player, and now people are finally taking notice, and, um, and that's a good thing. Um, I think what yeah. what the Islanders have failed to do um, is just ultimately jam the front of the net. Like they haven't really gotten in Vasilevsky's kitchen at all. Yeah. Like he just seems to be in that groove. Even like with a slight screen, it's no problem for him. He can track down pucks, um, and that's something that if they were able to do well in in game two, maybe a little bit better in game one, and just get him off his rhythm. Um, that could have gone a long way. Um, and in order for them to somehow pull it out of their hat, even force game seven, let alone win a game seven, they're going to have to do a lot more of that and really get under Vasilevsky's skin because that guy just looks unflappable. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Now we go to uh, Dallas and Vegas, which... Um, it's kind of similar, but not really, uh, in terms of the series lead or how the series has been going. Yes. Uh, the stars are up three, one, but all, all three, all of these games have kind of been pretty close, um, more or less. So, so that's, that's there. That's that. Um, so the first game, uh, John Klingberg scores in the first period early on in the first period. And then. It was just sloppy play from both of them. I, I would take it more to the fact that both teams had just gone and played a Game 7, and they're probably exhausted and stuff. So um, there was that. Also, Flower was play, was starting in net for Vegas. Um, v- Flower did look pretty good, but, um, but yeah, it was... Um, but, yeah, it was... It wasn't an exciting game that we were expecting uh, from these. Yeah, like I mean, what what other than scoring goals? What else could he have done? Like he stopped twenty two of twenty three in the first two periods. Like yeah, both. If if anything, his his team didn't even get fifteen shots after two periods. Well, I'm looking here. Both both uh, the Knights and the Stars had twenty five shots on goal. It was just that one of them went past. Flurry and and you know there was nothing really he could have done on that goal right but it was just and yeah the 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 thing is is that Dallas had a twenty three to twelve edge in shots yeah after forty and Vegas outshot Dallas thirteen to two hoping for a goal and it didn't happen right so so that's how he got to twenty five shots Vegas really came alive in the third period if if they had started their surge in the second period. Maybe they get that equalizer and maybe they win the game, but they they just waited too long to like really get going offensively. And part of the reason was because Dallas did their job defensively, and Hugo yep. was good when he had to be. For sure. Um, then we go to the next uh, the game two, where it was kind of the opposite. Uh, Dallas did not look good, um, and then Vegas scores three goals in the second period. Um, 
and to the point where I think uh, Jake Edinger played um, a couple, he, he started the third period, so he played the entire third period. Um, he actually looked, he didn't look too bad. Um, I was worried about it, him from like a development standpoint, but it, yeah. it turned out that um, it didn't have too much of an effect because he stopped five shots, and I guess they pulled him after like 10 minutes because they were just trying to win or, or get something on the net, but it just wasn't working for them. Um, yeah, and Robin Leonard gets a shutout uh, with 24 saves there. So, um, yeah, I guess that was just one of those things where um, after the third, I guess Dallas just started to give up, and um, and then that was that, and they were just focusing on the next next game and give guys rest and all that stuff. So, yeah, and like yeah. under it, uh, they were under siege in the second period. The shots yeah. were 19 to seven for the Golden Knights, and Rick Bonus said after the game, if it wasn't for Hudobin, it would have been six nothing. Yeah. So it's not that it's not that Udobin didn't show up. He did his part. The rest of the team just laid an egg. Yeah. Uh, game three, uh, Jamie Oleski. Uh, this was an this was an interesting game because uh, Jamie Oleski, of all people, he gets a breakaway and scores um, in the second period. And you know, of course, we were all expecting that, right? Um, in the second period. Then Shades Theodore scores in the th- early on in the third. Um, then Jamie Benn scores um, to to make it two one. Um, Alex Tuck then gets uh, a third period goal um, to get to make it tied. And then eventually, like thirty seconds into overtime, Alexander Radulov uh, makes like a, a nice play there and, and gets the goal there. So um, so that was that on there, but. Um, it was that could have easily gone to Vegas, um, I believe. Oh, Kudobin uh, stopped thirty-eight saves or had thirty-eight saves, whereas Dallas had um, had twenty or twenty-three shots. Um, so that's just it's like forty to twenty-three. Um, it's kind of insane when you think about it that way. But um, yeah, I, I guess you can't really complain because. Uh, they did make it to overtime, and it could have been anyone's shot, but Kudobin really clearly stood on his head, um, and that was the same thing that happened um, in Game 4. Um, Alex Martinez does start things off and, and scores in the second period, but then Joe Pavelski like does this like little flip of the puck, and it goes over v- Leonard's head um, and into the net somehow. It's it a pretty cool play there. Um, and then Jamie Benn scores at the end of the second period, and that was it. Um, and this was another game where uh, the shot disparity was kind of crazy. Uh, uh, the Knights had 33 shots, um, and the Stars had 20 shots. Um, and it just so happened that Leonard uh, allowed two of those shots in, and Kadobin only allowed one of those shots in, even though there were more shots for Vegas. Um, and yeah, I think, so now, um, so now, uh, game five is going to be on Monday and it's, it's, you know, if Dallas wins, they're in, um, to the Stanley Cup finals. And if Vegas wins, they live to see another day. Um, yeah, I guess this was kind of shocking because I thought like if the stars had a chance, they would win it in seven. Uh, cause I thought that Vegas was going to, um, just make matters worse, but 
Um, I guess there was something to the fact that Thatcher Demko kind of like made a game plan for every other team where they, they you know, even though they shoot a ton, they're just not going in and, and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I think the Stars um, are, are looking good, although I think it's, it has more to do with just Vegas is not playing up to what we're expecting them to play. Yeah, I, I feel like the San Jose Sharks should be taking notes of their goaltending and thinking. So all we have to do about be, beating Vegas is getting a hot goalie. Interesting. Yeah. Or, Bold strategy. Or just allowing them to shoot a ton, basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 But again, you know, your yeah. goalie has to stop the puck first. Um, <laughs> right, right. There, there are a lot of stats in the series that I can't wrap my head around. Um, Vegas has scored eight times in their last seven games if you don't count empty netters. And they're two and five in those games. And in a lot of those games, they've gotten like 40 plus shots on the other team's goalie. And for whatever reason, they can't score. Yeah. Like game four, for example, Robin Leonard turned aside 12 of 13 shots at even strength. Udobin stopped 12 of 13 when Vegas was on the power play. Over five chances and Vegas only gets one goal on 13 power play shots. And they lose. Like, how does that happen? And in that game, they get, like, 33 shots overall in the game. Um, Dallas gets 20. They score twice, and they win 2-1. to one. The previous game, like you mentioned, the Anton Hudobin show, he was unreal in that game. Um, the one stat that every NHL fan will look to is teams holding a 3-1 to one series lead in a best-of-seven format. They have posted uh, the team leading three to one has posted an all time record of 288 and 29, including a 10 and 0 track record in 2020. And since the conference finals format was adopted in 1981-82, teams that have gone up three to one in the conference finals are 34 in one lifetime. That is the kind of stat that screams Vegas is in trouble. Yeah. I think Vegas can force a game seven. Because the Canucks did it. And eventually, things are going to turn around in their favor. But if they force a Game 7, they're not going to win Game 7. I, their odds, I think their odds of winning would have been greater if they had won Game 4 and tied the series. But you give Dallas an option to lose three straight games, the way they're playing, the way Hugh Doman's playing, they're not taking it. I think it's only a matter of time before Dallas takes this series. Um, given how good of a team that Vegas has, I wouldn't be surprised if Vegas comes back. And it would be probably the greatest moment in franchise history. Like, I would say better than beating the Jets to get to the finals in 2018. <laughs> this this comeback would be bigger than that. But it's going to take a lot of work just because... Hugh Dobin is playing so well. The belief in the Dallas Stars locker room. Yep. Um, everything is going right for the Stars. And even if Vegas gets a lucky game or two, um, I think the Stars do end up winning this series. If Vegas wants to help their own cause, huge first periods. Don't wait till the third period to get your offense. Game five, take a page out of Colorado's playbook. Put like three, four, five goals on the board right away. Yeah. That is how... You get the stars on their heels is you get them on their heels early because the longer they hang around, 
and they're within a goal or two, they can still win any hockey game. Yep. So Vegas has got to get off to a good start from here on out. For sure. <laughs> I mean, that's not saying much where, like, if they win this series, it'll be the best series win in their franchise history, considering they've this is their third season in the league um, in existence. So, um, yeah, I think I think so. This will be a big series for them if they can pull it off. Um, I think there is a potential that they could win it. It's not fully over for Vegas. Like, they have a better chance of of it, of coming back than the Islanders do. Um, but I think, at the same time, Dallas is also, like, a pretty good team. Um, so, if, if they're, I mean, they're not, I think the Lightning are probably going to win the, the Stanley Cup um, if it's the Lightning and Stars. But... I think there is something to um, the fact that they, they ha- the stars have all the momentum right now, and and they've figured out how to how to beat the the Golden Knights. Um, it's, it doesn't look pretty, but it's it'll do, and it'll be um, something that they've been looking forward to. I am I'm curious about what's what's going to happen with Kadobin in the off season because he's played well enough where you could reasonably say that he should be the starter over Bishop. Um, I know Bishop's injured and all that stuff, but um, I wonder if, like, if he decides to, like, go elsewhere because I'm sure there's going to be a team that's going to give him a starting role. Um, but, like, I wonder if Jim Nill's just like, you know what? Like, you know, he deserves it. He's He's been phenomenal um, to the point that they're one win away from the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, like, are they going to, like give him a, a money that he he deserves um and maybe like do like a 1a 1b situation uh, from now on with bishop i can see a 1a 1b situation the issue with Udobin is he's 34 years old yeah and he might play pretty good hockey is he gonna play like this the rest of his career i don't think so Maybe for a year or two, but down the road, like you're getting up there in age with Anton, and I think a 1A, 1B system, wherever he goes, is probably going to be the best fit for him. The only way I can see him getting like a legit starter's role, if it's with the team, like maybe Minnesota or Detroit. Right. Um, I I don't see a Stanley Cup contender making him their legitimate number one starter. I think it's a team that really needs a number one goaltender that doesn't have much goalie flexibility right now. Or doesn't um, have a ton that's of pressure probably where, on him, That's yeah. probably where he gets the big payday. But it, if if he's willing to take like a million less per year and maybe get like a three-year term, may, maybe he takes that. Um, it, it all depends on the situation. But I definitely think there is a team that would be willing to offer him big money to to be a starting goaltender. There would be at least one team. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. I think there is definitely a market for him, or there's going, there's def. If I know the NHL like I think I do, I think there's going to be some team that's going to offer him something crazy and overpay for him. Um, kind of reminds. The other issue though yeah. is if he goes on a weaker team that doesn't have Dallas's defense, is that going to impact his numbers? That's right. the other thing to keep in mind. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like a Tim Thomas in a way where, you know, he, he's a late bloomer in some sorts and it took a while for him to be the starter or the de facto starter. And and then he has like this cup run um, right now and he kind of just proved all the haters wrong or 
if there were yeah. any haters. Um, and now, um, now he gets his chance to actually start and all that stuff. And, um, it might be later on, but I think he'll, I, I, I'm rooting for him as a Bruins fan here. So I, I think, um, I think he deserves it, uh, or at least a shot to see how he does in a starting role. Yeah. Um, but just what team is going to be the question. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, that about does it for us here on uh, Lace Em Up. Our SoundCloud is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook, our Instagram, whoa, jeez, I can't talk. Our iTunes is Lace Em, uh, Lace em Up um, as well. Our uh, Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. Um, I'm in vacation mode. I don't know if you guys know that. So <laughs> we're both on vacation. Yeah, we're mode, both actually. on vacation we're mode. Both. I guess we should have started that out with we're both on <laughs> vacation mode, and hence, if we mess up, that that's the that's the reason. But um, yeah, so so that's about it. Um, I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 237 of the Lace Up Podcast.